Um, one other, go to the next slider. One other thing I want us to pray for is uh, St. Paul's Catholic Church. It's the one on campus. Uh, the, the main priest there is Father John Meany, which is an unfortunate name for a priest, I think. Meany. Oh, you Meany. Anyway. One of the things that uh, and most of you don't know, but whenever I have a chance to meet a new pastor in Bloomington, somebody who's relatively new, and he's relatively new in the last year, I send them a restaurant gift card. I meet with them, talk to them, get to know them. Then I send them a restaurant gift card from the people of Exodus, thanking them for their role in influencing and increasing the influence of Jesus in Bloomington. And you might think, well, wait a minute, should we be praying for a Catholic church? Here's our, here's, our, here's our position on that. We're going to pray for anybody who exalts the name of Jesus and who welcomes the Holy Spirit. So, And yeah, there are some churches or religions or whatever we would say that probably isn't going to be them, but there are a lot of them there are. And uh, so we're going to pray for that. And I'm going to ask this. Is there someone here who grew up Catholic who would feel so bold as if I ask you to pray for them? And I'll tell you how I want you to pray. That we want to pray for Father John Meany and St. Paul's. Anyone? If not, that's okay. I'm not trying to embarrass anybody. Okay, okay, Mike. So, Mike, I just want you to pray that Jesus would pour out his spirit on Father John, and he would pour out his spirit on the people of the St. Paul's Catholic Church, all right? So this is Mike Navarro praying for us. Go ahead. Father God, we, uh, we as a, a body of, of Christ uh, pray for, uh, specifically for this Catholic Church and, and Father John Meany, that you... Uh, Pour out your uh, spirit on him as a leader uh, and, and, and on the body of that church. Uh, we pray that uh, their efforts, their love, their, their resources be used uh, to glorify your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Thanks, Mike. I'm going to turn that off now if that's okay. It was getting to me. I'm hot, but I'm okay, if that's okay. Um, Thanks, Mike. Um, no, because one of the things we believe that if the Holy Spirit works, our desire is the Holy Spirit works throughout Bloomington, and we want the water line, the water level line to increase throughout churches in Bloomington. So um, that's what our prayer is. So even when you drive by a church in Bloomington, take 10 seconds to pray for that church. Even if you don't know anybody there, pray that the Holy, just, even if you pray, Jesus, pour out your spirit on that church. So, um, because we believe that's what we want to see happen in Bloomington. All right. Um, what I want to talk about today, go to the next uh, slide there, Keaton. Um, there's a passage in Acts we're going to look at today, and it's going to relate to prayer. But before we look at the passage, because it's one of those passages that you kind of wish wasn't there. Like if you and I were editing the book of Acts, and, we were ed and if we were had any kind of PR kind of sense about us. It'd be one of those things we'd either edit out or alter so it didn't sound quite so eh. Um, but let me tell you what's happening before and after this passage because I want you to get a sense. The book of Acts, and this, this month we haven't been doing a series on Acts, but I've tended to, to, to come out of there. What happens the first few chapters of the book of Acts, the book, the book of Acts is a story about God's people after Jesus ascended to heaven. So the church had just begun, opens up with the Holy Spirit coming in incredible power, and they have mass conversions. There's supernatural power happening. People are healed. Peter and John uh, heal a crippled man. Incredible, incredible things happen. The, the community that forms this new church of Christians that forms is known for their incredible generosity, their joy. 
the power that, that God works through them. I mean, it's like really, really, it's the community all of us have always wanted to be a part of. After this passage, it talks about some of the same stuff. It ta- the, the phrase in the, in the book of Acts is a lot of miraculous signs and wonders happened. In other words, supernatural things were happening. People were healed. Um, it even said uh, that even if somebody, if, if Peter, who was the leader at that, one of the leaders, time, even if his shadow fell on somebody, they were healed of sickness. People that had demonic oppression were set free from demonic oppression. And again, it talks about generosity and it talks about the, the community around were in awe of these Christians because it was like, wow, they figured out there's something going on there. So it's, and, and, and there's persecution in there and there's opposition. And that's something we kind of don't like and rather pull, but it's there. But in general, the first four, five, six, seven chapters of the book of Acts is like power, generosity, joy. They love one another. There's supernatural realities happening. People are healed. It's like, wow, 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 wow. But then Acts chapter 5, starting with verse 1, is, there is a story that it can be unsettling. But let's look at it because let's look at what's happening. What was happening was people were... There was a lot of generosity happening, and people were actually uh, selling some of their property at times to help the poor in their own body. So there was no one in need in this, in this new community called the church. And so some were going out and selling property, you know, extra, you know, whatever, and giving it to the church. It wasn't like required of them. They weren't mandated to do it. It was acts of spontaneous generosity driven by the Holy Spirit. So there would be sharing and people would have enough in their body, all right? So that's kind of the context. And here's where this story opens up. But there was a certain man named Ananias who with his wife Sapphira sold some property. Okay, good so far. He brought part of the money to the apostles, claiming it was the full amount. With his wife's consent, he kept the rest. Again, they were not under any compulsion to sell anything or give anything. But he did sell something, and with his wife's consent, said this is what it was for, but it really wasn't the full amount. Then Peter said, Ananias, why have you let Satan fill your heart? So somehow, we don't know how, Peter had a sense that Ananias was being a little bit deceptive. When he said, look at all this money we got when we sold this land, when really he was giving them this much and keeping this much. And again, they were not obligated to even sell it or give. Why why has Satan filled your heart? You lied to the Holy Spirit and you kept some of the money for yourself. The property was yours to sell or not sell. Again, there was no, no, no obligation, no force as you wished. But after, and after selling it, the money was also yours to give away. How could you do a thing like this? You weren't lying to us, but to God. Now stop right here, Keaton. Don't move it on yet. So here, in their own freedom, they, they wanted to sell this property. Nobody told them they had to. It wasn't an obligation. It wasn't like pressure in the community. They sold this property. Let's say they sold it for $100,000, you know, whatever the equivalent was then. They end up giving, let's say, let's, let's be, you know, let's say they gave 80000 to Peter and the apostles to give to the poor in their, in, their, in their church and to help. That's a pretty generous gift. They didn't have to give. They give a big chunk of change. But what they said was, this was what we got for all that property. There was deception there. 
And the deception wasn't because they were selfish, because they didn't have to give any of the money away. They didn't have to do anything. The deception was more about creating a perception about their reputation that was going on. They wanted this new church body to feel like, wow, look how generous Ananias and Sapphira were. And I would say, well, they would have thought it was generous if you just told them, yeah, this is just four-fifths of the property. We needed to keep some for It still would have been generous, but the fact that they, they lied about whether the amount was the full amount or not. So you understand what, what seems kind of odd here is that Peter, somehow whether the Holy Spirit prompted him or he knew it or he could read something in Ananias' face or maybe Peter knew the people who bought the property. and they, I, We don't know how Peter knew. But he knew and right away he tells Ananias, Satan has filled your heart. And it, again, you and I might think, well, he just dumped a chunk of change on the church. How could that be Satan? But you see, it wasn't what he gave, and it wasn't even what he didn't give. It was the fact that he was deceiving about his own image. He was presenting an image about himself that look how I sold this and gave it all. All right, now let's see what happens. As soon as Ananias heard these words, he fell to the floor and died. Come on, I mean, you give a chunk of change. Everyone who heard about it was terrified. And again, Peter didn't kill him. It wasn't like they beat him up or anything. The sense you get from Luke, who wrote Acts, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit was, this was an act of God. Then some young men got up, wrapped him in a sheet, took him out, and buried him. Because in that Jewish culture, they bury people pretty quickly. They actually still do today. Maybe not that fast. They still do today. Next one. About three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. So again, we don't know. I mean, they didn't have cell phones or whatever. So it's very possible she just never didn't hear. Peter asked her, was... Now, some would ask, well, why didn't Peter just tell her up front her husband died? We don't know. We don't know exactly what's going on here, but we have confidence this is an accurate account of what happened, accurate for us to understand something about this. Peter asked her, was this the price you and your husband received for your land? Yes, she replied. That was the price. And Peter said, how could the two of you even think of conspiring to test the spirit of the Lord like this? The young men who buried your husband are just outside the door, and they will carry you out too. Next one. Instantly, she fell to the floor and died. When the young men came in and saw that she was dead, they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Great fear gripped the entire church and everyone else who heard what had happened. And kind of like imagine, right? And and we might you you could go a couple different directions with your thoughts. Well, wow, that's kind of harsh of God to do that or severe I mean look what they gave yeah they kind of misrepresented what they gave but they still gave I mean couldn't they have had like a harsh slap on the wrists did they have to die what was the point because if you and I were God we may not have agreed if God would have asked us our opinion on that we may not have agreed but that was an appropriate punishment So what do we do with that? And why in the world is that stuck in the midst of signs, wonders, generosity, joy, 
Over here, signs, wonders, generosity, joy, mass conversions, people coming to Christ in ways that were unexplicable apart from the Holy Spirit's activity. So what in the world is up with this? What is the point, so, so to speak? Not that God had to manufacture something to make a point. Because again, this, the sin here is not lack of generosity. Because they were generous, they sold something. The sin here is that what one of what my favorite authors, one of my favorite authors calls the sin of image management. They were letting it, led, leading other people to believe things about them were true about their spiritual life that weren't really the full picture. My guess if they would have said, this is what we got, we're giving this much, my guess is people would have, they would have most likely been honored for their generosity. But the fact that they wanted to kind of tweak their image and give a little more of an upswing, a little more of a PR image about themselves in the community. And what Peter says is, go to this next slide. What Peter says is, you aren't lying to us, you're lying to the Holy Spirit. You're not just image management with us. You are actually an offense right now to the Holy Spirit who wants to preserve the purity and the full-hearted honesty of this new body called the church, the followers of Jesus. And Peter says, you lied to the Holy Spirit. You weren't lying to us, but to God. So what is it about God that he has such low toleration for that kind of deception? Now, I'm not, I'm not saying that God has an issue, a problem. What I'm saying is maybe we don't always understand the degree to which holiness really does matter to God. And the holiness here even was, it was even an attitude. It was even crafting an image. It seems like one of the things Jesus railed on the Pharisees about was her hypocrisy. You want people to think this about you, but you know this is true. You know, we paint this really good, this is who I am spiritually, but we know this. And usually this image of us, that's the real image of us, has secrets involved that we don't want people to know because we think if they knew, they would not think of us this way and we like being thought of this way. I do. So does God have a toleration for sin that's way, way, way less than what we would think he should have? And the answer, I think, is yes. Because this is not Old Testament it seems like what God is saying is, this is so, I love the church, I love my people so much, and the power that was part of their praying and the boldness and the healing and the signs and wonders, God says, I will protect that at any cost. And I will not tolerate anything that will serve to water that down to any degree. I mean, the Holy Spirit is called the Holy Spirit, not just the Spirit. You know, there's a, there's a passage in the book of uh, Joshua that kind of that parallels this to some degree. If you know the story and if you don't, that's fine. Go to the next slide here. Joshua chapter 7, Old Testament now. So we go back, you know, a number of years. God's people were about ready to enter the promised land, and their first battle in the promised land was Jericho. That was their first battle as they crossed into the land, the promise God had given them. And what they were told was, okay, we're going to go into Jericho and everything is to be destroyed. People, 
And again, that's another, another time for another topic. You know, God asked, telling them, I want everybody, everything destroyed. People as well as stuff, gold, silver, nice, anything you find, it's all destroyed, nothing. So they go, they smash Jericho, they win the battle. Achan, who was just an ordinary guy in the community, but we find out later, he said he saw some gold and he saw some really nice robes from Babylon. And he just thought, I, wow, I, I want those. So he, at, during the battle, however it happened, he steals, he sneaks these things out. Instead of destroying them, as God said, he sneaks them out, he steals them, he lies, and then he buries them under his tent. So he's got some stuff. Again, um, he's lying. And he's being secretive. The next day, the Israelites go out to battle against a way, way, way inferior force in the town of Ai. And they get beat soundly. And it was inexplicable because they had way more manpower than the town of Ai did. I mean, what, what can a town have if their town name has two vowels anyway, you know? So Joshua goes back to God and says, it's like, God, what happened? What, we thought you were with us, and what happened here? And God says, Israel has disobeyed me. And so what's interesting is God says the sin is, the whole community has sinned because one person has sinned. And that's where we think, wait a minute, God, that's not fair. Why did these people die in battle when it was Achan that kind of did the... There's a connection to people, to the community, that we don't always get as Western American Christians. We're very individual but it seems like, not seems like, it is the case that, that when there's sin or deception in one person, it affects the whole. If I have secret sins in my life, it affects you in ways you will never know and I will never know. Because we're connected in one body. And so it's interesting. And so what happens then? God uh, tells Joshua that they find out it's Achan. They find out it's Achan, Achan's one who stole and, he's, and again, the accusation was, you lied about this. And then God's directive is take Achan, his family, and stone them all. And again, it's kind of like, okay, God, a little overreaction maybe, God? Stone them? I mean, can't they just have a kind of a spiritual timeout? But it seems like what we're hearing over and over in those passages, and it shows up in other places in Scripture too, is, God doesn't tolerate even those little things that we think are not a big deal. So as we talk about, we want to be people in a church who has the things that we see in the book of Acts when people prayed, you know, this whole bold, you know, they're, they're bold, they're generous, there's power happening. And it's even like, you know, we, the, the words I had up there were fresh, disruptive, and practical. We want, to, we want to see that in our lives. But yet what often... God wants to show us is, yeah, but there's something that's holding that back. And we're like, yeah, yeah, but I just want this. Give me all this. Yeah, but God's like, well, can you deal with this? And we're like, yeah, that's a small thing, God. I mean, it's only, I only lied about 10% of what, you know, I, we gave most of it. I'm sure Ananias, if I, well, we gave most of it. Surely they'll be, God will be pleased that we gave a lot. Yeah, but, I'm, but there's still deception involved. And the question I will ask you, and the question I have asked myself and will ask myself is this question here. Are you lying to the Holy Spirit about anything? 
Is there anything that you are purporting to be true about yourself by your words and actions that you know in your honest moments between you and God that you know are not true about you or you know there's secrets in your life that are blocking the work of the Holy Spirit in your life but you've actually got to the point where you kind of run past that and push past that and in doing so what the Bible would say is you're lying to the Holy Spirit you're not just lying to your spouse or to your friends or to this church you're lying to the Holy Spirit and it seems like, okay, well, that's what we're doing. So that's the question I'm going to ask you. And let me just, even this week when I was working on this sermon, I, one of the downsides of being a pastor is whenever you teach on something, it seems like God tries to get your attention about it. Like, okay, if it's good for them, it's good for you. And this, in my mind, was a very small thing, but I felt like God was relentless about it. My, my wife and I, uh, we, we have this, uh, long story short, we have this uh, insurance card we ha- that gives that, uh, through one of the local pharmacies, and you get a discount by using this particular, it's one of these frequent programs at this particular pharmacy. Um, actually, it's CVS, so we get a discount. Well, recently, we switched insurance companies, you know, the, the church, the health insurance companies, but I had this CVS card, and it was still giving me this discount, 10% off, you know, so if I buy cough medicine, I save 85 cents or whatever, you know, whatever. And I thought, well, maybe, and so for the last few months, I've been thinking maybe the discount was because I'm a frequent buyer there, because I don't really know why, but it seems like, I thought this was attached to our old insurance, maybe I'm wrong, I don't know, da, da, da. And it conveniently, I just didn't find out. I wasn't like thinking, oh, look at all this money, I mean, we're saving like a dollar here and a dollar there and a dollar here and a dollar there. So I thought, okay, it's not a really big deal. It must be some of the reasons, because why didn't they shut it? It was their fault. They didn't shut it off. They should have shut it off because the company... I bought some at the store on Thursday, Wednesday. Got a discount, saved $2. And I got in the car, and I felt like God said, you know what, you need to figure this out right now. Because if this is not money that's due to you, deal with it right now. And I'm just like, it's $2, God. Two, two, two dollars. And I thought, I, and, and my excuse to God was, well, I don't know how to find out anyway. So I pull out the little CVS card. Dang it, there's a phone number on there. <laughs> so I called, sat in my car, and I called, and I told the lady, this is what's happening. I don't know, I don't know why I'm getting the discount. I don't know why. To, she goes, well, actually, it is because of your former insurance. And she said, it's our fault. We should have shut it off, and we didn't. And then I asked the question I didn't want to ask, and I said, well, then how do I pay you back? Because I probably benefited, I don't know, 50 bucks in the last few months, 40 bucks, 30 bucks. And she said, don't worry about it. It's our, it's our mistake. Don't worry about it. Okay, good. But I feel like I even had to ask that question. And again, it's a, you might think, and I might think it's a small thing, but one of the things somebody early in my life said to me was, it's in those small corners of your heart and of your life that the Holy Spirit really wants to have everything of you. And you might think, well, that's kind of minor. No, it, it, it seems minor, but it seems like what the Holy Spirit wants is everything. Absolute honesty and openness. So I'm not assuming of you that you might have, uh, and even that issue, I don't think I was being openly rebellious against God. It wasn't like, no, I'm not listening. I want, five, I want my 85 cents when I get cough syrup. It was just kind of... 
It was a comfortable ignorance I was purporting to have. Well, I just don't know. I don't know why I get the discount, and I'm not going to find out. So maybe that's your issue. Maybe there's something like that in your life. Maybe there's a comfortable ignorance that you just, you choose not to find out because if you find, found out, you may. Or maybe there's a comfort level you have with certain TV shows or things you watch, things you click past on the internet. And you're like, yeah, that's not a big deal. I mean, she's at least half clad, so I'll go. And maybe you've gotten to a comfort level with those things that you know if you had an honest conversation with the Holy Spirit, he would say, stop that. So maybe there's something that's become comfortable for you that if you had an honest conversation with the Holy Spirit, he would say, stop that. Not because God's a legalist. Not because God hates fun. It's because God has a vision for what your life and my life can be that's way bigger than everyone has ever imagined. We were designed for so much more than what we live. And what holds us back often is those little comfortable, comfortable, ignorant sins that we just kind of think is not a big deal. I mean, after all, I am giving money to the church. I pray, I do this, I do this. What's the big deal? And if the Holy Spirit says it's a big deal, then it's a big deal. I don't care how small it is. I don't care if it's a TV show you've watched for years. And I'm not against TV shows, and neither is God. But he is against anything that's going to cause you to lose the full capacity of what the Holy Spirit wants to do in your life. So here's how, we, here's how we want, I want to end here this morning. I'm going to ask... Um, Go to the next slide here. What I did this morning or this week, I asked, I assembled a, uh, a one Sunday prayer team and, and I just asked men this week to pray. Not that I'm excluding women, but I, I'm looking for ways to get more men involved praying. So um, we're going to have a prayer team this Sunday. They're going to be back here in our portable room back behind here. And I'm going to ask people to go for prayer and they're simply going to pray this for you. Pour out your Holy Spirit on this person. And if you go up there, you're not necessarily admitting, and they're not going to ask you, okay, do you have one of those CVS cards like Matt's or whatever? What do you, and but and it, there may be something you know of in your life that you need the Holy Spirit to convince you what needs to happen next. Maybe you're not even, maybe there, there's nothing in your awareness but maybe you really feel like you just want, you want someone to pray for you that if there is anything, God would bring that to light. Not in any kind of hyper-fearful way, like, oh, I don't know, I don't know. But maybe, there, maybe you just feel like God wants you to be open. And, and some of you may just feel like, you know, I feel like I am open to God. I, that's not, I don't, that's okay. But there are some of you that may need to go up for prayer because there is some issue you know you need God's push to walk away from that sin. Others of you may just be at the point where you know you want more of what God has to offer you, and you're just going to tell him, I, I want more of the Holy Spirit in my life. So if there's anything in my life that's not holy, God, I want you to show me those things. All right? So um, let me ask this. I'm going to go ahead. Let me ask the guys who I'd asked to pray. Go on, go on back there, uh, and then I'm going to... I want you guys to get up and I'll be, uh, as I pray here. And then we'll tell you what's happening next with communion and things like that. Um, Jesus, it, sometimes there's, there's, 
things like this and sermons like this that seem um, to tap into some of our old anxieties and fears about the churches we don't want to be a part of and words like fundamentalism jump into our mind. But God, as far as I understand, this is because you want us to be holy people and there's nothing too small for your attention to get to us about. Because, God, in being holy, that also means you want us to be the most alive, awake, and free, and generous, and joyful, and powerful people that we, even, we, we have no idea how much you want that for us. We have no idea the kind of people we can be. No idea. So, God, would you work in all of our lives clean out the corners of our lives that are blocking any way in which your spirit has absolute full sway in our hearts. That's the kind of people we want to be. That's the kind of church we want to be because we believe you want to work in and through us to bring others to know you. We believe you want to work in and through us to bring about the healing that comes from the Holy Spirit in the lives of others. We believe you want to work in and through us to be a people of generosity, to be a people of joy. So anything in our lives, God, that we, may, that we may be lying to your spirit about, would you bring that to our attention and then give us the grace and courage to run away from it and run to freedom and joy. And we ask this all in your name. Amen. Here's how we're going to proceed from here. Uh, the band's going to play. Uh, we're going to sing. And we're going to take communion, too. And... Uh, Here's how we do it at Exodus, just to kind of explain the logistics. You will come on up to the front. As we sing, you're welcome to come on up. There'll be people at the aisles. And for communion, what we do is we offer you the bread and just ask you to tear off a piece. And then we offer you the cup.